Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello, friends. Welcome to the podcast today. We have a special guest that we're so excited about. We have Joanna Lilly with us. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. She's in town and we get to interview her in person. And I just want to tell you a little bit about Joanna. She's a treatment placement consultant and a therapeutic gap year consultant for adults 17 and a half and older. Mm-hmm. And you specialize in helping young adults and their families during that transition mm-hmm. stage. Yes, specifically. Okay, which is kind of a unique niche for what you do, helping them launch into college or if they are starting to unravel mm-hmm. and struggling. Yeah. And you got a master's degree in counseling and you're a nationally certified counselor, mm-hmm. correct? Okay. And what I think is interesting about you is that you also um, were a guide at therapeutic wilderness programs and and then you've also had experience helping like coaching students that were on academic probation and students that were deferred avoiding suspension because they needed to go into treatment and so you've got like a really nice like <laughs> an eclectic mix yeah. <laughs> of former employment yep. yeah which really leads you know gives experience to to what you do yeah, Joanna is a natural mentor. Everything she does is to help somebody where they're at, help them get to the next spot. And that's one of the things that that we appreciate about you is everything you do is to help. And that's what that's what we value here as well as mentoring and that relationship of influence. Um, and so that's who we really respect. And we're glad to have you on. Thank you. Okay, so the big question that I have for you... <laughs> and I know that this is like your specialty, is transitioning into adulthood can really look different for each person and especially for the neurodiverse population of young adults. So I just wanna like hear some of your perspectives on this, on like the timeline, does it, you know, how it takes longer, have different needs. What are you seeing and what do you oh, totally. think about that? Well, I think there's, it, it comes back to what society says all of a sudden the bell tolls when you turn 18 and it's like oh you're a legal adult you're supposed to be able to do all of these things right even though up until that literally 17 year and 364 days it may have been a a serious struggle could could be rigidity in your thinking it could be just struggling with executive functioning it could be you know parents that are just like overly involved and all of a sudden but now you're a an adult. Yeah. So like, you're supposed right. to be able to do these things. Right. <laughs> and what's your problem? Yeah, exactly. What, where, where did it go wrong? Right. That's, I think that's actually a lot of the parents that uh, I see in, in terms of your question for like, you know, what, what am I seeing is this frustration and mm-hmm. well, you know, why isn't all of a sudden like the light bulb going off for you to be able to be, be truly independent in all areas in your life or, or interdependent, right? I think that's a little bit more important to focus on. And so I think it's just this unrealistic expectation of like the clock ticking 
of, mm-hmm. here you go, you're supposed to be able to do these things now, but that's not the case, especially if you have a, a child who's now legally an adult and has been <laughs> neurodiverse for very long time or several years or however long you know like whenever whenever if ever you had a diagnosis and so that means that you're going to need a little bit of more time right I think this idea of just like oh my gosh you're 18 or you should be in school with with your peers and you need to be graduating within four years and it's just that timeline needs to be thrown out the window altogether it's a like yes you are in this space now where we want you to transition to kind of being on your own, but it's gonna look different and you are going to need some sort of supports. And as a parent, it's important for you to identify how you can actually start to step back instead of making this unrealistic kind of uh, plug for, well, how come you're not going to college or how come you're not getting a job or how come you're not doing your laundry um, because you've been doing it for so long for them. I think that magic date the 18 year old services cliff or graduating from high school services cliff mm. a lot of parents and I, I think Debbie and I were there as well we were so burned out at age 15 16 that age 18 sounded really nice like the finish line yeah and so emotionally I can understand the way a lot of parents would be like yeah once they're 18 I'm really hoping something will click <laughs> because I'm kind of done <laughs> I don't know what else to do yeah past 18 and so I think they get a lot of anxiety too that I'm gonna my kids gonna end up living in my basement the rest of our lives or what happens I don't mind them staying in our home but then after a year or two of that they're like yeah this isn't this isn't good for them yeah Um, so they need something more different and I love what you're saying because that is not a message that we get yeah. from a lot of places. There really is that push that it's supposed to look a certain way and high school set up that way. Like this is the timeline. And if something's not happening along that, something's wrong. And yeah. that's just not even accurate or yeah. fair or true. I mean, I, I actually get a lot of parents too that have really pushed the right post high school graduation. You're still applying to college because that's what all of your peers do. And, um, once they get in, it's so excited. They do the typical, like, you know, shopping for your residence hall room and, like, you're going to be at this prestigious university. Make it look as normal as possible. Exactly. And then, oh, by the way, there there is little to, and, and again, this is just me generalizing based on the families that I have worked with, where they, they are so tunnel visioned around that following the path that their peers and for parents their peers right their their yes neighbors and their their siblings and their high school friends like they all have kids that are going off to college too so that's what my kid needs to do as well but we don't talk about the additional support that is needed to be able to get up and go to class to make sure that you're eating making sure that you're sharing making sure that you're not playing video games all night i mean this is it's it's a struggle for everybody but for the parent with a young adult that or you know like a soon to be young adult where that struggle and that extra support is needed you can't overlook that because we're so focused on this ivy league institution and they should be able to be successful or if i can just get them to college and sometimes their best plan is if we can just i just hope they'll get a good roommate then Mm. they'll be okay and that's like the only plan that they have in place is the right roommate and they're just banking on the right roommate to suddenly help them have a social life 
or get out or feel yeah. feel like they belong somewhere. And I think parents want their kid to succeed and be happy, but they're not. We didn't know what to do. We just assumed things would work out better yeah. um, than they did. And so it's one of the reasons we wanted you on is so you could give some more perspective on that. What do you think is a good timeline? What do you say about timelines? Um, what can parents expect if they have a kid who's 16, neurodiverse, really struggling, emotionally they're 12, yeah. um, and they're not having the typical high school experiences that a, a neurotypical person would have? What do you say to them about a timeline or how long they're going to need to be involved? Yeah, that is a great question because I think it's important to know that no journey and timeline is the same. So I can't be like, oh, anticipate two years because that would be so unrealistic for me to say. It is a, it's a process and as a parent you need to identify what is realistic for the immediate, like we need these short-term goals, we need long-term goals, and we also need goals for the parents in terms of that individuation. At what point does your role as a parent, where you have professionals or you have connected your kid with, so that you can start to step back, to not be the one who is calling to wake them up for their job or to go to school in the morning. And if school is a struggle, if high school is a struggle, why are we pushing for college? College is not going anywhere. What's more important is that your young adult needs to be able to actually live on their own. They need to make money to be able to feed themselves and keep a roof over their heads. And certainly there are people out there that have trusts for their children. That is such a small percentage. That is unrealistic for us to think that that's gonna happen. So you as a parent, if you're seeing the writing on the wall for your 16 year old, you really need to start planning. And this is not a siloed job. This is a village that's going to have to continue to raise your young adult. And that village is gonna evolve. And at some point you really need to continue to step back with each kind of like step or goal that's being checked off. So. Why is it so important that parents need to pull back? Why can't they keep being, you know, their executive functioning, their, their master planner? Um, their motivation. Yeah, I'm I'm the like morbid person who's going to say very gently to parents, no one thinks about their death. And yet as a parenting unit, what if something were to happen to you tomorrow, right? Maybe you're thinking like, oh, I'm going to live another 30 years. It's going to be fine. I can continue to raise my kid for 30 years. But things happen. So it's not about... It's not about, you know, this like doomsday experience, but we really need to be thinking about how dependent is your child on you? And if something were to happen to you, would they be able to not just survive, but thrive? And so again, I, I hate to be like, oh, you need to be thinking about your death. Cause that's not really like no parents thinking about that. But at the same time, let's, let's be real. Like you can choose not to think about that. And then you're going to continue to raise your kid how you are, where you are, their executive functioning. And then at some point, what happens when you're gone? And I think that's really an important perspective to have because when you're evaluating, are we putting all our time and effort into helping our son get the A in his science class, but he doesn't know how to do a basic life skill like his laundry or, yeah. you know, 
how to drive or things like that. Like or what's, how to make friends. How to make yeah. friends, how to right. be a little more resilient when we have a setback. Yeah. Like if you're putting 90% of your time and energy into their grades, but they don't have some of these basic life skills, like which one is actually going to serve them more right. and help them? And if you have the life skills in place first, then, then the college aspect or, you know, higher education is going to actually be a little more on the, right. on the table for yeah. them. But I mean, I, I recently had a young man who confided in me and let me know that he had never used a microwave before. Wow. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. We get kids who come here. I mean, like that's, yeah. We get kids who come here who've never used a vacuum. Yeah. And in some of our life skills training, one of our checklist items that they have to learn to go from phase two to three or one to two. So some of the, some of the students complain that one of our assignments is that they need to show us they know how to actually change a light bulb. And I'm surprised how many say, well, that's stupid and childish. And then I asked if you've ever done it. They said, well, no. So, well, then how do you know you can? Well, I've figured out. Well, what if the light bulb's a little bit stuck? Or what if it's a fluorescent light bulb and the long skinny ones? And, and it's silly, but it's... It's just practical life experience that they're missing. Well, and it's funny that you bring up the microwave because our own son knows how to use a microwave. And as a teenager, several times put in top ramen without water and it caught on fire. (laughs) And the tendency was to not let him ever use it because he was so dangerous. But what we kept at, like he had to keep learning it. And now he's like great in the kitchen and. He's mm-hmm. learned, and, but it took a lot more practice yeah. and some, well, we really some fires. He's, he's <laughs> really not dangerous now. No, he's but not. But he was. For a was, while, he yeah. was really dangerous. So, so going back to just like all of this, I feel like what is dangerous is for us as parents to focus on this idea of a college degree and you know this career path when in reality if we can't take care of ourselves from a, like a basic human needs perspective, independent of others that is it's scary what what's going to happen right somebody's going to starve to death or they're going to die in their own filth again i'm like for whatever reason i'm like going down this path of like extreme like the extreme but it's a it's so important i can't emphasize it enough that we don't parents don't realize that what what they're doing they feel like they're helping and it's such a sometimes it can be such a, a thin line of okay we have to stop what's actually helpful versus yes. what's effective is all we care about our parents want that as well yeah and i think all of our parents want to be effective parents they just don't know what else to do one of the reasons we ask parents to take a step back from their, their relationship is because if they're a part of the equation the history of parent-child interaction has been negative or conflictual or disappointing or full of shame or contention and even if the parents say and do everything right it's hard for the child, even if they're 18, 19, 25, mm-hmm. it's hard for them to take themselves out of the child role. And if the parent's the one saying it, they don't hear it. But if a mentor comes in and says the same thing, it's much more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how you feel about having kids stay at home after high school, or if you feel like it's important to go have an experience, but a lot of parents are like, we can't have them in our home. It's too contentious. Um, it's not working for them. It's not meeting their needs or our needs. We love him or her, but they've got to go, but they don't know where to send them because college isn't safe or they'll flunk out or they did flunk out. Um, what, kinds, what kinds of options are there for parents whose kid really can't stay home but can't go live at college on their own yet? Yeah, there, there's a lot. So I'm just like, period. <laughs> there's a lot. Know that it exists. I get, um, I've had 
more conversations than I wish to admit where parents are saying just that, like for my 18, 19 or 25 year old of like, I wish that I had known sooner that I I could have already started this process to find a place to help them. And it's not about, you know, there's there's a spectrum of types of clinical support. So I think that's what's important. Parents either view it as like a group home where there's, you know, kind of like a state funded type perspective of, you know, what's available in my state, which depending on the state, it, it could be kind of slim pickings. And then you're looking on the other end of the spectrum where it could be, you know, really high end or it could be really heavy clinical like focus. And again, that's not my kid. So sometimes it's just a lack of awareness of what really is available. And there are these gems and this is where I'm going to like shamelessly plug you guys because the model that you have at Techie for Life, this coaching and mentoring is amazing because you don't have to have somebody that is so clinically focused. This is not necessarily a place where you come and this is where you stay for life. The goal is to learn the skills, right? And that could be a year, it could be longer. Uh, but again, depending on the age and how much has been done for them beforehand, it's like, we gotta teach you all the basics. And so programs exist. And when you think about, I think the important piece I'll throw out there too, is when you think as a parent, like I've been saving money in this college fund and now all of a sudden the expectation for my adult child is maybe not, not like the true college experience. You can allocate funds to make sure that you're paying for them to get the skills that they need. But you as a parent are also getting the support on how to become a parent of an adult rather than continuing to parent a child. Right. Yeah. And our model is a little different than most because we're not therapeutic. We don't do the clinical here. So a lot of parents could use their insurance provider if they have good insurance to pay for a program that does clinical for depression, anxiety. Um, parents actually can use some of their state or federally um, protected tax-free schooling um, programs. A college savings. A college savings they can use it for Techie for Life because we're a licensed vocational school, but there's not many programs like that. Yeah. But there are a lot of individualized programs and there's always one that fits every yeah. student situation, every young adult situation. There's a program out there. Yeah. Um, it's hard to find those programs, which is why Joanna exists as a consultant. And that's what, that's what consultants do is their specialty is to find all of the right programs for the right profile, for the right histories where they can set them up for success and find the right placement instead of just throwing a dart at the board and hoping that, that a program that you stumbled on on the internet, which there's a lot of them, yeah. um, but it's great to talk to somebody who's actually visited those programs and talks to the people and what you see on the website doesn't necessarily match the school. Right. And we can't even get our website to match what we do here. We need people to come visit us. So I totally front load that with my, my family. So I just say sometimes the websites are great and it's a mask for, you know, what really that, happens. Yeah. Or you have a program that, you know, the websites, it looks like it was at least created in the 21st century. So that's important. Uh, but then they show up and it's just like, oh, you're investing in this like here with the residents and the instead of marketing in a website exactly right, right. so I, I kind of front load that for families but 
going back to what you were saying too, just in the work that I do, sometimes I think families also, again, this is just like what we know, they're not gonna go to college. Well, what would somebody do? Gap year, right? This like, here's this flashy thing, but then you look at gap year programs and there's also very little diversity in terms of what's available. So a lot of it's gonna be international programming and these semester long, you know, but where on some of those websites are you gonna see that they take somebody who's neurodiverse? Or where do you see right. which of those programs they actually say we do take therapeutic clients? What's right? the so, goal of a gap year? Back up for our listeners who don't know. Yeah, so ultimately it's an opportunity that families would take where they, they see the, that, hey, my young adult is not mature enough, whether it's like, yeah, maybe academically they could totally excel, but socially, emotionally, might need to grow up a little bit. So historically, gap year has been an opportunity for young people to have mostly cultural immersion. And that could be even within the U.S. So I think I need to kind of plug that quickly. But even within the last like seven months, I've been kind of trying to to bring in like what you all are doing can be seen as a gap opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, that's we just we're locked into gap year if you're not in college you're in gap year right Right, and, and that's culture it totally is yeah and there's a lot more individual opportunity as individual as there are students needs yeah um, and our students even though they're all neurodiverse are completely unique in which weaknesses and strengths that they have and what they need and where they're at academically and maturity wise yeah so it's it's really good to have an individualized placement by people who know about the programs. So we love educational consultants being involved for our students because it ensures a better placement and a more successful fit and therefore more positive experience and the outcomes are better. Mm -hmm. Um, So we support consultants completely and and love it when they're involved. So I wanna shift gears and, because I read one of the articles you wrote, Joanna um, wrote an article I was reading on autism and addiction. And this is actually becoming more and more of an issue um, with this generation. And I thought you were just spot on with how you were highlighting the importance of working with an educational or a therapeutic consultant to find a program that's actually experienced with neurodiverse clients that need treatment for addictions. Instead of sending a a neurodiverse kid to a typical treatment place or tell us more about that. That's what I want to know. Both. So that's, that's what the article is about is that I'm, I'm actually starting to see more like speaking of other themes that are kind of emerging is I'm seeing somebody who has a, is diagnosed, right? Neurodiverse, but they're also really, it's not like self-medication. It's truly struggling with addiction. And so, and it's not necessarily process addiction. It can also actually be like substances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so very little uh, in terms of the parent conversations and the professional conversations that I'm having is it's like you either look at a recovery program and you're missing the training for being able to support somebody that's neurodiverse or you go to a, a program that's specifically focused on the neurodiverse population but they don't have the knowledge around the chemical like that that level of addiction and so it's like well how do you like what's worse do we go the treatment route and then try to piece something together or do we go the neurodiverse route and then hope that you know we can connect them with a sober coach or like somebody within the program so it's just it's 
and it doesn't what what doesn't exist and that's what my article is kind of getting at is there's no single place that has both dialed right so for parents who are trying to figure out is my child addicted or are they just wanting to hang out with friends and since they're all smoking pot my child's smoking pot how would you help them tease that out to know for sure they're neurodiverse on the spectrum or other how would you help them understand if they're actually just using to fit in or if they really are addicted what are some of the signs that would tell the difference for and i'll just speak to again some of the clients that i've had recently because i think it just sheds light on what is kind of emerging is it's not just one substance so maybe it is the parent says like oh they're just smoking weed but then when you find out actually they're dabbing so there's oils and there's a lot and now i'm seeing a shift in mood and behaviors and it's kind of snowballing where you know when you think of that typical kind of addict in quote profile you've got somebody who now is socially hanging out with a very different crowd probably doesn't understand neurodiversity and yet now all of a sudden we might have again i'm totally generalizing some legal consequences where when you think about the legal system too now we're tapping into another area of like oh yeah lack of awareness education how to support this population and so parents are like oh my gosh right it's not just it's not just marijuana. It's the, like, I can get my hands on anything. And I also talked about this in the article is that there's also a, a the, they might've been diagnosed ADHD as a child. And that was like the first thing. And so there is research out there and it's nothing related in the U S it's actually more in Europe of this, all of this, the, the, like, neurology behind the hyperactive the addictive brain and the neurodivergent and so it's it is somebody who's constantly moving and it's not just about the one substance so as a needing stimulus we know that 30 percent of the population has the addictive personality and at a a minimum the neurodiverse population is going to be at least 30 percent having the addictive personality but the research is showing that it's higher than that because of the type of personality that they have, the, the always wanting stimulus, the looking for something outside of them to make them feel better because they don't have what it takes inside. A lot of times they're always looking for a change in environment or location or medication or, or whatever it is, the right program, the right drug, the right friend to make me happy. And um, they don't have real good self-reliance. And so drugs become a really good crutch. Yeah. Well, it allows you to, in quote, feel normal or look normal or come across as normal. Again, this is like what the parents that I've been working with and the young adults that I've been working with, all of a sudden you take the substances and like, yeah, I come across as quirky. So like, I don't want that. And so hence this like, you know, just continuing to be in this cycle. So from a strictly anecdotal place, we've had probably only one, maybe two students at Techie for Life that I would say were actually addicted to video games. Um, The rest are obsessive and escapist, um, but every one of the parents who sends their kid here with a a video game problem are saying, yeah, they're addicted to video games. But then when when they start meeting their needs, they have something better to do, and they have actual friends, they walk away from the video games pretty quickly. Um, And we've had a couple that were um, alcoholics in recovery and one um, marijuana smoker in recovery and they were doing pretty good in their recovery but there's 
there was actually a lot more that got into trouble with those substances that once they got away from those friends, they just walked away and stopped, mm -hmm. even though the parents said they were addicted. And I, I do think there's a lot of addiction to deal with. Um, I also think sometimes our students are pretty matter of fact, and they're like, a lot of our students don't even like the feeling of drinking. Mm -hmm. and, and they're all college kids, but they don't want, they don't like how it feels. And so they're like, yeah, that's yicky. I don't like to smoke or I don't like to drink. So there's a lot of them that stay away from it because of the sensory aspect, the sensory of, it, aspect yeah. of it. I don't like feeling tingly. I don't like feeling warm. I don't like feeling buzzed. And so a lot of them are like easy and safe. But then those those who are addicted, you get that dual diagnosis of neurodiverse and um, addict. That's a pretty hard. That's yeah. a pretty hard thing to beat because they don't have great insight. Yep. Um, and you almost have to overcome character flaws to overcome addiction. And it's hard for our students to overcome those. It takes longer, more maturity, more years. Yeah. Well, and then to like dive even deeper in this, like that the AA, like 12-step recovery is not, if you, if you really peel that apart, okay, for those that are listening, like I'm not knocking on the 12-step. Let me just like You're not allowed to that. knock the 12 steps. <laughs> I think that's against the law somewhere. For anybody who isn't neurodiverse, 12-step works. Okay, or it could work potentially, but for those, it it there's just there's pieces to that. It just does not doesn't align click at all, and it doesn't matter how much you get beat over the head with it. It just it it's not there, and so that's right. why I wrote that article. It's just like there is no single program, and. I'll also throw out there too. If if you are that program, please reach out to me because I need to. Yeah, I need to we know. We need that magic bullet. Yes. If you're looking for a niche to fill, Seriously. that's a well, I think a lot of programs, there. a lot of addiction recovery programs, have tried to create a niche for neurodiverse because there's a market demand, but they still approach it from a classic addict recovery style. And and mm -hmm. I find the same thing with wilderness programs that are really behavioral, but they try to do neurodiverse or treatment programs where it's all cognitive therapy, insight-based yeah. treatment, and that doesn't work real well either. Uh, for this population. For yeah. this population. Yeah. And, right. I, and I'm a therapist, and I love cognitive behavioral therapy if it works. Right. Uh, but a coaching style or um, there's other types of interventions like mentoring that work really well right. for neurodiverse. So if there are parents whose kid is turning 18 in the next three to six months, what are a couple of tips you would give them to manage the next year, two years? If you could give them, look, if there's oh, only yeah. one thing or two things <laughs> I could tell you to make your lives better, it would be what? The first thing that I would say actually is just have a plan. So, and that, that's, it's kind of broad, but it's also very specific in the sense of, okay, yeah, right here in the next three to six months, you need to figure out, especially if you're anticipating that they're gonna stay at home, right? You realize maybe they're not college bound, we need to take that in quote gap year or just stay at home for another year. You have to create a plan. What does that plan include? How, like, what are they doing for work? What does their schedule look like? And when are they leaving the house? And if we're not meeting some of these milestones and that plan that you've created, then that's where it's important for you to lean on even harder, some of these outside professionals. Having a team to help make your plan work. 100%. Like what happens when they say, yeah, I'm not going? Yeah. 
and do you still ground them? Do you take away their phone? Do you turn off their internet? I mean, they're they're 19. Do you still treat them like a child? That's really an important place to have a third party objective. Yeah. Um, person come in like a good therapist yeah and I, and I do have a lot of parents too they're like oh I feel so uncomfortable doing those things and it's like yes and if you don't do them now right with that plan so I'm not just saying all of a sudden you're just like yeah throwing out these consequences that feel you know very yeah uncomfortable and, and kind of just tied to nothing but in the plan if you say right in the first three months I need you to find a job Right, or the first three weeks, I need to find a job. If you don't find a job, this is what the house is going to look and feel like. And you have to follow through with that plan. That's the other thing. Not yeah. just creating it, but you have to actually follow yeah. through. I love the idea of being intentional. Yes. That's what making a plan is, is be intentional. Well, and I love when you have a plan, then you're not just reacting emotionally. Yeah. Right? You're anticipating and you're doing some front loading. So they're mentally kind of shifting into that too. You're having conversations around that. And it's a lot less reactionary, and it, it comes across more supportive, really. Like, this yeah. is, this well, is it, what we're it, looking it at. It saves you from this place of having a 35-year-old who's still living at home. And I say that because I'm 35. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> if I was still living at home and my parents hadn't set up the expectation of, you need to be out by this time. If I hadn't had that plan in place, I would have taken advantage of my parents continuing to feed me and like provide for me. And so as a parent, it's just important, not just for you, but for your young adult to create that plan. They need to wrap their head around what it is that they need to do to become in interdependent of you as a parent and you as a parent need to identify at what point do you draw the line and you're like that line is where you're like I'm done being a parent I need you to move on and if that means I need to hire some folks and find a place for you to live I'm willing to do that because it hasn't worked with us on our own the one other thing that I would throw out there for a parent is you have been doing a lot of work for a long time right if, the, if we're we're yes. talking three to six months out from turning 18 you're probably like below E right like that you are countdowns on finish lines up ahead like I'm exhausted like you said earlier and so I think it's what's important for not just creating the plan is as a parent if you aren't seeing your own therapist or as as a couple right if you aren't seeing a therapist please do there's no stigma in getting help in that regard and I would specifically say find somebody that's going to help you navigate the grief and loss of the vision that you had for your soon-to-be adult because you're really starting to come to terms that maybe that vision that you had for the you know your three-year-old or your 13-year-old is not going to play out even though maybe you've really tried so hard for so long or they were so smart in these certain areas well they still are yeah clearly but more brilliant than most themselves. kids in these areas but then lacking in so many other yeah. areas and so just as a parent, like take care of yourself and it's okay to grieve this vision that you have for your kid. And it's not meant to be like, again, you know, morbid conversation. It's a grieve the loss of the vision that you had because if you grieve that vision, then it opens you up to accepting who your kid is becoming, which is going to be way more successful and productive and beautiful that than like more than your vision could have ever presented right we love to say it's it's time to maximize success and minimize damage um, and everyone has their own 
life worth living and what they value. And, and it's different. What neurodiverse young adults value is different than what often their parents value or their therapists even value. Um, we just had one student who really likes to eat and, he, and he's always going to like to eat. That's not going to go away. And the parents have had to learn to back off and let go of his physical health to some extent because you're weighing it out to their quality of life. And you have to decide which ones are the priorities. And it's hard to let go of that ego ideal that we have for our kids mm -hmm. um, and our own values. And that's parenting for any kid. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. That was a process for us, too, with our own boys. I mean, it's like just like the like you have this idea of how it's going to go. We also have this idea of how they're going to live. And we have to like realize they're going to their how their life and how they want to live is probably going to look different than how we would do it. Yeah. Hygiene wise or like friend-wise, all of the things, what they're involved in, it may look different than what we would ideally want for them or how we would live our life. And that's part of that process too, of mm -hmm. sort of like, they're gonna be who they are. Mm -hmm. We're gonna do what we can to support and we get to feel good about our role in that and how we support them. But ultimately it's their life, their choices, mm -hmm. their, their own mm -hmm. unique human being on this planet. <laughs> and <laughs> and so, that's okay, yeah. it's actually okay. Yeah. So one, yeah. one more question before we let you go. What are you passionate about? What drives you to get up and do what you do well every day? Oh, what makes you happy? Such a good question. Um, I think for me, well, there's, there's kind of like a, a dual, what makes me happy professionally is a little bit different than what, what makes me happy personally, but there, there is a bridge. So what I really love about my work is being able to help families. It's, it's letting go and kind of letting the young adult become who they're supposed to be and seeing them kind of evolve to who they're supposed to be, right? Again, so parents contact me in crisis and it's like, my kid is leaving college and we need to get them back. And so it's, it's gently guiding them through this place where maybe they do end up going back to school or maybe they don't um, but getting them collectively as a family unit in a place where everybody is calm you know at peace like functioning like taking care of themselves and that fills me up and some of that for me and this is where the bridge is I am constantly in a place where I like to teach myself new things and so it kind of goes back to this like, well, I need to slow down because I can be sometimes on this like fast track of like, oh, I need to be and here are my goals where I need to be at this point in my life. Go, 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 do, do, go, do. go, go. Yeah. And I'm on the fast track to burnout personally and professionally. But if I stop to say, I'm going to go to the orchard and I'm going to pick some apples because I can, and then I'm going to make applesauce because I've never made applesauce before in my life. How do you do that? <laughs> Like that fills me up. And so it's those little milestones. It's the little things that really make you, you know, come alive and appreciate think, like anything in your life. And so certainly I still have that like big, big picture, like end goal. Where do I want to be? But what's most important is where I'm at today on the daily. And that's what I love seeing for my families. Beautiful. I love it.
All right. So how can people reach you if they want to contact you or follow you, read some of your great blog posts and <laughs> articles that you've that have been published. Yeah, what we haven't talked yeah. about is Joanna has her own podcast. She as does. Well. So tell us how to find you and Sure. Well, so I, the podcast is called Success is Subjective, and you can find it on any you know major podcast playing platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Um, and quickly, I think the premise of that podcast was just to highlight that it's normal to not have this very linear emerging adult path, right? Young adult path where you graduate high school at 18, you go to college, you graduate college in four years, unimpacted by anything, uh, right? Everything's smooth sailing. And then you get this job where you wear a tie and then you have a feel. I mean, it's just like, it is, it's unrealistic. And we need to talk about resiliency. We need to talk about adversity. We need to talk about the fact that success is not singular. It's not concrete. It's not one particular thing and it does not look the same for everybody. And so in, in my role, I've just, met so many people that have said like, oh my gosh, I, I took a gap year or I took a break in college or I took 13 years before I went back to college. And so look at where I am now. And so it's important for me. Um, like, you know, I never thought I'd be a podcaster, but here I am, but I'm sharing people's stories and, and it ties into the work that I do, which is just normalizing that it's okay to take a break. Um, and that college is not going anywhere and we want you to be successful. And again, success looks different for everybody. Right. Um, and so you can, you can hear any of those journeys on any of the podcast playing platforms, especially if you've enjoyed my voice. Now you might enjoy my voice in those interviews, but everything else, my website is kind of the catch all for my articles, the blogs, um, anything else. And that's lilyconsulting.com. And we'll link to that in the show notes so you can find it. Well, we are so appreciative that you came on, came and visited us, and then to come on our show. And and I think this has been really some good insights and information. I think that this is going to um, really help a lot of parents, and, and especially like with younger kids too, just kind of anticipating what might be ahead. I know that's a big, dark black hole for a lot of parents and realize, you know what? It's okay if it looks different from my kid. In fact, that's actually a beautiful thing in a lot of ways. And anyone that's interested in contacting Joanna, her her clientele is all over the place, and it doesn't have to be where she's at locally. She does a lot of um, electronic conferencing and tele, teleconferencing. So she does take clients from all over the country, and I don't know if you have any outside of the country yet. But, um, but your home base? I had one. <laughs> uh, that's great. But we, we've known you, Joanna for several years, and we love what she does and who she is. So thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm grateful. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Take care, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. 